Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the Wednesday edition of the Double Double. I'm here with my co-host Chad Piper. I'm Casey Everett and I'm here with the Cooper Lewis. How are you doing today, Coop? Pretty good, man. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Chad, how's it going today, man? Doing great. Doing great. All right. So the first thing we're going to go into today is reacting to the Lakers and Rockets game three. That came down, not really to the wire, but it was a good game nonetheless. Uh, Chad, do you have any thoughts on it? Oh, man, what an exciting game this was, I'll tell you that. I mean, the first half was run and gun. The pace was fast. Both teams were scoring at a very efficient rate. I believe the halftime score was 64-61. to 61. A lot of points, very exciting for the fans to watch with LeBron scoring 29 and going absolutely bonkers in that first half, leading his Lakers team. Had a couple of huge blocks that we always know LeBron does. And, uh, I mean, the second half was completely opposite. Neither team can buy, could buy a bucket. The third quarter scoring was 21-18 to 18 Lakers. Very neck and neck going into the fourth, and I just think the Lakers' defense really clamped down on them in the fourth. They started to double harden. Westbrook wasn't as efficient as he was early on. And the rest of the guys couldn't get anything going. I mean, P.J. Tucker only had three points. And just Lakers defense and LeBron and A.D., that duo, just willed him to that win. Huge game three win for the Lakers. Yeah, and, the, yeah, and like, the I was looking at the thing, and it was, like, first half stats, and it, the Lakers already had ten turnovers at halftime. And the Rockets only had nine turnovers the whole game. So that was a big factor in the Lakers not coming up with the first half lead. Uh, Cooper, what did you think? Uh, honestly, like kind of same thing as Chad, like it was really fun to watch in the first half and then it was just a constant struggle to get a bucket in the second. Um, I think like some of the biggest like stars of the second game were like the guys off the bench, like Kuzma and Rondo. I feel like the Rockets really weren't anticipating how efficient they would be. And I feel like that's like one of the things that kind of sent them, sent the Lakers to like win over the Rockets. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, it's when, they play that small ball like Rondo I mean not Rondo um James Harden and Russell Westbrook they both led the Rockets in rebounds for the game for the Rockets and they're their guards so that's kind of interesting to look at um Chad going to you uh do you uh do the Rockets small ball do you think it's going to work against this Lakers team um, to be honest, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, the Lakers out-rebounded them 52-33 to 33 in the game. You could just tell late in the game, the Rockets were one and done almost every possession. The Lakers were pounding the glass with AD. They started posting it up more. And I just think uh, when it gets into crunch time and the shot clock's getting down low, I just don't think the Rockets small ball, unless they're scoring at a very efficient rate like they were in the first half, I just – when the game's close, I uh, put my money on the Lakers almost every time it's that small ball lineup. Yeah, and like you said, like AD had how many rebounds? Like 16, 17, something like that, something crazy. He had 15 rebounds, and that's like half of what the Rockets had the whole game. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Uh, Cooper, what do you think? Do you think the small ball lineup's going to work? Uh, I honestly don't think so. Like, I just – just like already going into this, they already knew it was going to be hard going against the Lakers, like just – with like the smallest roster versus the tallest roster. But I honestly, yeah, like you said, like the, all the rebounds came from Westbrook and Harden. And I just don't think the small ball game is going to go against the Lakers just because how dominant they were like showing in this game. 
Yeah, definitely. And going into that, um, it looks like the Lakers are getting key contributions from a lot of their role players, like Rajon Rondo dropping 21 points with nine rebounds and Kyle Kuzma with 14 points. Um, and that's huge, like coming off the bench there. And it's not, I think the Rockets only had 16 uh, points off the bench the whole game. So yep. it's crazy to think like they need more off the bench than just their starters and James Harden, Russell Westbrook kind of leading the way for them. Uh, going to you, Chad, um, do you think the Rockets have a good enough, like have good enough role players to go against this Laker, Laker team? Um, personally, I don't think they do. I, I mean, they, they only play an eight-man rotation with Jeff Green, Ben McElmore, and Austin Rivers up the bench. And, I mean, Austin Rivers, zero points, 0 for 2 last night. Ben McElmore, same thing, zero points, 0 for 2. Jeff Green has been playing very well in the playoffs. He had 16 points last night off the bench. He was their key spark plug. The Rockets starters scored 63, 73, 83, 86 of their 102 points. I just think that's that's way too much in the playoffs. you got to have some bench production to give your starters some rest. And the Lakers starters, outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron, only combined for eight points. But the Lakers bench came up huge, giving them that win. But, I mean, like you to answer your question now, the Rockets – the Rockets need a better bench. And I mean, I don't know if it's adding another guy to the rotation that can give them a spark or what it is, but what they're doing now, I do not see them winning this series. Yeah. And definitely when you think about it, it's like the Lakers are definitely going to go after their, like they have a size advantage definitely when it comes to Anthony Davis and LeBron. And it's just hard for Harden and Westbrook to just carry the load like that day in and day out. Like that's going to be really hard on the body and, Russell coming off an injury, like all that. So, um, but Cooper, what do you think? Yeah, uh, going with Chad, like, yeah, Jeff Green, he's been good, but like, yeah, all the points from the bench only came from him. Uh, their bench is just not as, like, deep as the Lakers are. Like, yeah, like Rondo and Kuzma kind of exploding, like, in the last half and Rondo in the last quarter. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be, like, a shutout game it's like the past three games have not been not showing anyone like shutting each other out um so I think it's going to be a hard fought series but I think ultimately the Lakers will win it yeah and the Lakers just seem like they always lose that first game it seems like they always yeah. lose that first game kind of recalibrate see what the Rockets are, or like whatever team they're playing are doing and they kind of just go off that and plan their game plan based off game one so yeah I think the Lakers are going to go ahead and win this series, but like Russell Westbrook and James Harden are doing everything they can to try and win for the Rockets. It's just not working. Um, Chad, I have a question for you. So Rajon Rondo is one of those crazy players that doesn't really show off during the regular season, but right when it comes to playoff time, he always tends to show up. Why do you think that is? I just think it's his experience. I mean, he's been in the league for so long. He's Played in the biggest games back when he was with, played for the Celtics with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, those teams. They won the NBA Finals before, lost the next year to the Lakers. He just has that experience. He knows – you could really tell he was comfortable in that moment yesterday. He was 
he was the other primary ball handler for the Lakers outside of LeBron. And you could just tell he's he's always playing at his own pace. He's always under control. He has the Lakers in the right rhythm. He's never too fast. He's never too doing the right thing. And I mean, yesterday, three for five from the three-point line. They were almost daring him to shoot, and he made him pay. I mean, a veteran like that, you almost kind of have to scare him a little bit. But he definitely showed up last night and was probably the key factor why they ended up pulling away in that second half. Yeah, 21 points off the bench, three for five from three-point range. It's just – and Rondo's not known for his shooting either. So him coming three for five from three-point is huge for him. So um, he definitely, like, helped that Laker team's pull ahead in the, late in the fourth. Um, Cooper, with same question to you. Do you think it's because of his experience, or do you think he's just holding back during the regular season, or what do you think? Uh, I honestly think it's a little bit of both. Like, obviously, like, the playoff experience, like, really helps, like, and it shows in this uh, game. But I honestly feel like maybe he's just kind of put stuff on the back burner in the regular season, and he knows that, like, James and Davis, so they're going to do well. And that's when he knows that, like, I feel like that's his advantage is he, there's a lot of guys, especially in this series that weren't, have never really had that much playoff experience as he has. So that's where he kind of played his card and really exercised that uh, advantage he's had for playing the league for so many years. Yeah, definitely. And you got to love John Rondo, man. He just plays with that intensity. He, he always plays really good defense. He's just one of those players that's always going to make an impact, even if it's off the bench. So, and LeBron James with four blocks, Four blocks, man. LeBron James showing that he can still play defense. Everybody always counts him out during the regular season on defense. But coming in clutch with four blocks in this game, um, LeBron is not notorious for being, like, a whole, like, defensive player the past couple of years. He's, everybody's been saying that he doesn't have the defensive uh, willpower to play defense anymore. Do you guys uh, – going to you, Chad, do you think he just holds it back until the playoffs too? Um, I feel so. I mean, I feel like a guy like LeBron, he just knows when to turn it up when it counts the most. He knows, he knows the situation. He knows the time and score. He knows that this is a crucial game three. And I mean, he was doing everything in his power last night to try to get him that win, hustling back. I mean, there was many times where he did not hustle back on defense. He was kind of complaining a lot. And as a, just a watching the basketball game as a fan, I'm just like, Stop complaining. Play the game. I mean, you're LeBron. You get most of the calls anyways. But he was really impressive with the chase down block he had right before the halftime buzzer. Almost reminded me of uh, game seven in the finals back when he played for Cleveland. But, yeah, I feel like he can just do anything he puts his mind to. If he wants to block the shot, he's going to block the shot. If he wants to get an assist, score. I mean, the game is his oyster. I mean, he's the best player in the league but yeah he, he's definitely I mean, shown that he's definitely that player that when it comes down to it he's going to perform at all times and he you oh, can tell well. he just wants to win this series for the Lakers he wants to bring it back home to LA and get this championship won so hmm. that's going to wrap up our time talking about the Lakers and Rockets game three recap so um, we'll be right back after this and we're going to be talking about the Bucks versus Heat game five recap really good series um, he came away with it. We'll talk more about that after the break. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for listening to KLJX LP Flagstaff. This is the Double Double 
the Wednesday edition. Thank you for tuning in for our second episode of the semester. We just wrapped up an intense conversation about the Lakers and Rockets and what a series that has already been. I am your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We have our usual guest back with us, Cooper Lewis. How you guys doing? Pretty good, man. Good, good. Yeah, good. So the the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks just finished the second round series. The Heat ended up taking that series in five games, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, most likely the back-to-back MVP, did not play in game five. What did you guys think of that game? It's, it's just sad to see, for Giannis. Like, he started off game four really well, had 19 points in 11 minutes. He was on a roll, and then he gets down with this injury. It's just sad to see – a player like that, he's so good, and wanting his team to win the series and come back from a deficit, and they just can't. I mean, they won the game. Um, Chris Middleton went off, but it's just sad to see a player like Giannis go down like that and not be able to play when his team needs him most. But they did get, like, con- contributions from uh, Chris Middleton. He actually started to turn it up. He actually started to look like that number two that they needed all along. And maybe this will – um, make Chris Middleton realize that maybe he does need to step it up and be a better number two to Giannis. But, yeah, it's just disappointing, man. Just really, like, sad. Yeah, like you said, you could really see Giannis want to win. I mean, even in that game five, he wasn't suited up. But he was – you could see him on the bench standing up, cheering his guys on, trying to do anything he could to try will him to that win. I totally agree with you. What, what did you think about it, Cooper? Yeah, it was really sad in uh, game four that, like, he got that injury because no one – like, there's a few people that want this more than Giannis does. He just wants to bring it home to Milwaukee. Um, I will say, yeah, like, Chris Middleton stepped up, and I feel like a lot of guys kind of showed, like, the true colors when Giannis isn't in there just, like, kind of dominating. Um, but, yeah, it was just – it was really hard to see it, but I kind of – I'm kind of looking forward to seeing the heat uh go further they're kind of like they're actually surprising my expectations when going into the series yeah totally the heat have been playing well i mean eric Spoelstra and jimmy butler has that those guys locked in to the max um but over to you casey do you think if Giannis was playing they could have possibly come back from this 3-1 deficit dug themselves into i don't think so i think it was already too late um, being 3-1 down in that series, they came off. It's almost like they played better with Gian, without Giannis at some times, and that's scary to think about knowing that he's like the MVP of the league. But I think they did put – offensively, they looked much more sm- like smoother. But I don't think – they dug themselves into a hole going down 3-1 in that series, and I don't think there was any way climbing back from it. The The – they he they had six people in double figures. They were just on. They were just operating on all cylinders. They they wanted it. You could tell they were playing great defense. They just wanted to win that series and they wanted to close out the Bucks, knowing that they were the one seed. So no, I don't think they really. Once they went down three one, I think it was kind of over. But all to the Bucks. We'll see what happens next for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the Bucks were right there in every quarter, but the second quarter. I mean, after the first quarter. They were up 28 to 19, and the reporter interviewed Eric Spolster and was kind of like, everyone was kind of surprised, like, oh, the Bucks are up by nine points without Giannis. And she asked, what, what's going on with your team, basically? And he was just, 
our guys just really want this. We just need to settle down and just play the game. Because in the first quarter that he had six turnovers, I mean, Jimmy Butler had four of them. They were just making a lot of careless plays. You could tell they were just too antsy. They probably already felt that they had the game, but they didn't realize that they still had to grind it out. But over to you, Cooper. Do you think they could have came back from this deficit? Um, I honestly don't think so. I think it would have been closer, but I don't think they would have. Uh, I completely agree with Casey. They almost played better without Giannis, which is kind of weird and everything. But Middleton really stepped up into that role um, as the playmaker and everything. But, like, then again, like, uh, only three guys on the Heat scored less than 10 points in that game. Like, everyone was just super consistent. And that just shows, like, a really, like, a deep team. And I feel like when Giannis is uh, on the Bucks, it just kind of everyone's kind of helping him and surrounding him versus playing really deep throughout the team. But I think it would have been close. And even if they won, I think the Heat would have still won the entire series. But, yeah, I think the, the, the Heat having that 3-1 lead over them kind of sealed the deal for them. Yeah, I totally agree as well. I mean, the Bucks might have been able to win one game, maybe two, but all in all, I would have had the Heat win in that as well. And like you touched on, the Heat had six players in double figures, two of them being off the bench and two other guys off the bench with six points. Just shows you the depth and the depth of that team and how they play as a team. There's not one guy scoring 35 points, willing them to all these victories. It's very balanced attack throughout the team. Um, so, Cooper, I'm going to start with you with this one. So this is back-to-back seasons. The Bucks have had the best record in the NBA, at least the best record in the East. Last year, they were up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors. Lost, ended up losing that series four games to two. And now they are put out in the second round. Do you put any blame on the head coach, Mike Budenholzer, or do you think this team just kind of isn't ready for this moment yet? Um, I, I, I wouldn't really put blame on the coach. Uh, I just think they don't have enough playoff experience, like, like further down the series. Uh, but just, I, I, again, I feel like every season, like they're always kind of like, like the last two seasons, like they have the best record in the league and then everyone expects them just to dominate the, uh, the entire playoffs. But I feel like, like with teams like the Heat, um, and like a bunch of other teams this year uh, that have kind of been surprising us. Uh, I feel like not enough people are putting emphasis on other teams. So then that way Milwaukee kind of is a little overrated going into the playoffs, even with like the best record. But I wouldn't really put it on the coach uh, that much. That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. What do you think, Casey? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say right now. Mike Boldenhoser has proven that he's a really good coach. And like you said, they lead them to the one seed every year for the last couple of years. And they just don't know how to finish off series. And I think a lot of it comes down to like not only experience, but they're losing players during the offseason. Like nobody's talking about them losing Malcolm Brogdon. Like that made a huge impact defensively on that team, offensively. When Giannis isn't on the court, Malcolm Brogdon was kind of that player to kind of facilitate their offense. So maybe making – easier for the players to stay and want to win a championship in Milwaukee would kind of help them out. But I don't think they should fire Mike Boldenhoser. He's done a great job. He's a great coach. They just need to figure out how to win games and close series out. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon, like you said, was a 
key loss. I was super surprised when they didn't sign him. But I just also don't think they had enough cap room. I mean, they paid Chris Middleton last offseason as well. Giannis's contract is up after the next season. I just think they probably – I think Malcolm Brogdon knew how much he was worth and how much he should have got paid by that team. But me personally, I would have paid Malcolm Brogdon over Chris Middleton for the reasons you explained. He can break down the defense. He's another primary ball handler that can really make plays. He can shoot, stretch the floor, and he can just do more for that team, I think, than Chris Middleton can as that number two. Um, I personally would not fire him either. I think Boonholz has done a great job. I just think, like both of you said, the Bucks don't have enough behind them. Their bench is not good at all. I mean, Brooke Lopez is their third best player, and he's seven feet shooting three-pointers as his primary offensive game. But so with Giannis's contract coming up next after next season, Casey, what do you think the Bucks should try to do to keep Giannis? Do you think they should trade for Chris Paul? Do you think they should say, shoot, we might end up losing Giannis. Let's get rid of him and get as much as we can and start rebuilding. What do you think? So if they do end up trading Giannis, they're going to have to start over with a bunch of draft picks and they won't be that same Bucks team as we know. Um, they're going to still have Chris Middleton unless they want to ship him off too. So I think they don't need to necessarily rebuild. Giannis is still young. And if they Giannis posted that he wants to stay, and we don't know if that's true or not, but he wants to stay. He wants to win a, a championship for Milwaukee. But it's coming down to it where he's almost a free agent and there's teams – that could use him and really make a really good playoff push. Like not necessarily saying like the Heat need him or other teams need him, but yeah, I think they just need to get another primary ball handler. Um, like you said, Chris Paul would make a really good second to Giannis or if they got, yeah, just another primary ball handler to kind of take all the pressure off Giannis because the, you can just tell he's, there's so much pressure on him being the second probably the two-time MVP back-to-back. So maybe he just needs another guy to kind of get the pressure off of him. Yeah, I, I feel that point. What about you, Coop? Yeah, I feel like they're just going to end up doing one of two things. Uh, even though Giannis kind of said that he wants to stay there, a bunch of guys have said that, and who knows, like we don't have even seen next season yet. Uh, I feel like they're going to do one of two things. I feel like the Bucks are either going to trade them and just kind of – be like just kind of deep in the depth in like the Bucks, like especially in their bench and just kind of get more for uh, just in case like Giannis does want to leave and they just end up trading him or they kind of get rid of some guys and get some or just kind of change up their game plan with more surrounding him because it almost feels like a battle of like who's gonna who's gonna be the main playmaker in each game so I feel like they either need to surround him more or change their game plan to surround him more, or they're going to end up trading him so they don't lose him in free agency. Yeah, I, I see both of those points. I think the Bucks. I mean, I've, they've been the number one seed the past two years. I don't see how you could trade Giannis and give up an, another potential year of being the number one seed. I, it feels like to me that the Thunder are going to move on from Chris Paul because he has two years, about $84 million left on his contract. I mean, they fired their coach, Billy Donovan, yesterday, which was shocking. But those two timeout plays that he kind of 
messed up on at the end of the game versus the Rockets kind of makes sense. But I, Giannis kind of feels like that guy. He wants to be kind of that LeBron to what LeBron was to Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland, he was everything to them. To them. And Giannis, Milwaukee hasn't had a good basketball team in, golly, I have no idea how long. And Giannis saying a quote about being questioned if he's going to press a trade saying, that's not happening. Stump to your wall and go in another direction. I plowed through it. I mean, he could just all be talking the media and he could want to leave. But from everything I've seen, he feels like that guy that wants to bring home that championship to Milwaukee and be that guy there for a long time. But that wraps up our first half hour section here on the Double Double. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Cooper, for joining us. Cooper seems to be a regular on the show. I just want to say thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we're going to have a new guest coming in for the next half hour. Stay tuned. Welcome back, people of Flagstaff, and welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. We just had a great first segment talking about the Lakers and Rockets game three, and we also had a great conversation talking about the Bucks and first the Heat, where the Heat came up on top. Right now, we're here with our new guest, Sean Clark. How you doing? Doing great. I'm excited that the NFL is back and Premier League is back two days after that, so great stuff coming. Yeah. A lot of sports coming back right now. Um, playoffs are about to wrap up in a couple of weeks or so. So we're going to dive right into it. Our first topic for this segment is about obvi- like arguably the greatest soccer player of all time, Lionel Messi and the transfers of Barcelona and Messi leaving. Um, Messi's been on this quest to leave Barcelona, but they don't want to get rid of him. They asking for way too money too much money to get rid of him in his release clause so we're gonna go over to you sean um what do you think about all of this this is terrible this is this is terrible I, I'm, imagine you have a long marriage with somebody and then all of the sudden you they start to disappoint you they start to not support you and bring up your well-being so you decide, you know what, I can't take this anymore. We've tried to work things out over the years. You know what, honey, I'm just, I, I just think it's time we split, you know. I just think it's time we, we, we go our separate ways. It's just better for both of us this way. That way you can figure out yourself, and then I can get, oppor- and I can get opportunities elsewhere and live the life that I want to live. That's essentially what this was. And these two went to a divorce court, but Lionel Messi – was decided, you know what, I love you too much. I'm not going to do that. Even though I really hate you right now, I still love you. I'm not going to do that. But come on. You had a 700 million euro release clause. I'm not making that number up. 700 million euros. You could have just waived that or reduced it. You could have just done something with it and let him go because Lionel Messi has given everything to Barcelona. Barcelona has been arguably the best club the last 15 years in in club football. Arguably the best when you look at the total of the last 15 years. And who is there for all of that? Oh, wait, that would be Lionel Messi. Why couldn't you just let him go? Let him him explore the interest. Oh, yeah, you just want to bring in Uzmane, Dembele, Antoine Griezmann, and Felipe Coutinho for each 100 million euros or more? Like, okay. So you're not doing anything to support him, and you're not going to let him go. What kind of a club are you? Yeah, it's, Bar- just, 
it's just one of those things where it's just like he's done literally everything. He's won Champions Leagues. He's won every award. Ballon d'Ors. He's won the uh, La Liga. He's done everything for this club. And like you said, it's like a divorce court. It really is. And they didn't let him go because he's allowed to waive uh, to get re- like get released um, at the end of the season. But since everything got canceled and postponed, he wasn't able to waive it because it was past the date. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it wasn't his fault that he wasn't allowed to tell him he wants to leave when they were getting killed in the Champions League and all this stuff. And it's just unfortunate for the sport. I think they should have let him leave. It's just one of those things. Let him leave. Let him go on. Let him play for Manchester City where he wants to play with Pep Guardiola. And just start something new. He's been there since he was, what, 11 years old in La Mesea? And he's been done. he's done nothing but um, everything for this club. Chad, what do you think about Messi wanting to leave? Do you do you think he should want to leave, and why? If I was Messi, I would for sure want to leave. I mean, just like you guys touched up on, he has given everything to that club. You would think they would do the right thing by letting him leave if he wanted to. But, I mean, a $700 million euro transfer thing, I was reading an article early on that, there was a report that nobody could afford that. And that's probably one reason why he wasn't able to be let go. And if I was Barcelona as the owner, I understand he has given everything to that organization, but you can't just give him up for free. I mean, they should have been able to work out a deal. They should have met with each other. Oh, you're unhappy. You want to leave. Okay, well, let's find a number, 300 million, 400 million, whatever that number is. They should have resolved it more, not such a big mess in the media and made a, I mean, just give Messi the right. I mean, like you guys said, he's given everything to that team. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where Manchester City was actually willing to give up some good players. Like, they were willing to give over Gabriel Jesus and – um, who else were they thinking of getting rid of? But they're willing to get rid of players that co- would cost around $100 million. Like, I think Gabriel Jesus in this market would cost around 7 to $80 million. And so it's just one of those things where they could have, like, gotten that price down from $700 million. And Manchester City has all the funds in the world, but $700 million is way too much of an asking price. Especially Messi's getting older. He's not, he's not 25. He's not, like, in his 20s anymore. He's 33, 34 years old, he's not, he's getting older. So it's like one of those things you got to let go. Um, it's unfortunate to see Messi go down like this. And you could tell by the interview with goal.com, he was just like, I'm going to stay. He didn't look super enthusiastic about it. And it's sad to see like one of the greatest players, probably the greatest player of all time wanting to leave and he's not allowed to. And I don't blame him. I, I really don't. The defensive um, record of Barcelona this year was just tragic. Jared Piquet is getting older. Uh, Langlet cannot figure it out defensively. Semedo in that last game, what was he doing? What was he doing? It's just one of those things. So they they have they haven't really made any signings yet either. So it's just kind of confusing. They have a they have like young players and then really old players like Frankie De Jong. Um, he's really good. He made an impact this year, but it's just it's just hard to see Messi go down like this. And I really wish he would just leave. And just everybody was so hyped about it. 
Everybody wanted him to leave, see something new, see him in a different jersey for once in his life. But Sean, um, going to you, what do you think a reasonable amount for Messi would have been? Well, Neymar has the current world record for transfer fee with 220 million euros. Kim Mbappe, who both are on PSG, was 180 million. I would say I'll, I'll, go, I'll go in between that 200 million because when Neymar signed, he was in his prime. When Mbappe signed, he was 19 years old. Can you imagine that? 19 years old and getting that money, which is absolutely crazy. So I'm going to go in between there because Messi is a bit older, but he's still one of the best players of all time. Not the best because that's Ronaldo, but that's another discussion <laughs> for another time. But, but, but somewhere in the somewhere below Neymar because Neymar was in his prime when he signed it, but above Mbappe because he's not 19 years old. I, I feel like that would have been a, a bit reasonable as far as that goes. Yeah, and definitely. And like I said, Manchester City was willing to give up players that would cost a lot in this market. So there's no reason why Barcelona couldn't be like, okay, we're making this move. Messi, good luck in the Premier League. We all want to see Messi play in the Premier League. This is one of those things. Or we, there was talks even of him going to Juventus and play, hooking up with Ronaldo. So that would have been awesome to see too. We'll probably see them in the MLS or something at some point, maybe. But that's just crossing my fingers. But yeah, it's just like one of those things where you're just like, man, he deserves it. He's done everything. Let him go. Let him play. And yeah, 200 million in this market is not enough. Especially with Real Madrid, they did a statement just came out that Real Madrid is doing a total overhaul and is willing to spend 250 million on the next transfer window to get Holland and Kylian Mbappe. So what are you going to do as Barcelona fans when Real Madrid are getting younger and still winning and they have a record of winning, especially now they won La Liga, they won like three Champions League in the past five years. So it's just what is Barcelona going to do as a team to kind of get back up to where Real Madrid is right now? It's just one of those things, especially if they do sign Kylian Mbappe and Holland, like they're going to have a front three of Kylian Mbappe, Holland, and Eden Hazard. Insane. Insane. And, and, and they do – Real Madrid do need to figure out their midfield a little bit. They are getting older with like Luka Modric and stuff. But we're not talking about Real Madrid right now. We're talking about Barcelona and Messi. But I think Barcelona should have cashed in and started working on developing and buying young talent that can promise – give them promise for the next five to 10 years, because right now they're just getting older and they're holding on to assets that they could cash in on. So it's just one of those things, one of those things. Um, John, I'm going to go back to you. What uniform did you want Messi to wear? If it wasn't, we're counting out Manchester City. We're just saying no, because that was kind of an obvious one. He wanted to hook up with Pep Guardiola. But if you could think of one team where you're like, Messi would make a huge impact and bring this team back to glory. Which team would you want? Inter Milan, no question about it. Inter has an incredible young squad right now. They were second in Serie A. It's very surprising to me that they lost to Sevilla in the Europa League final. That was a crazy match. It's back and forth in Sevilla one on a bicycle kick, three to two. Inter is loaded everywhere you look. But who's Inter's current star player right now? Letaro Martinez. What country is Martinez from, Casey? He's from Argentina. Isn't that the same place Messi's from? Yep, 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 exactly. 
Messi going there not only would have broken Inter Milan's many-year title drought, trophy drought, but also it'll allow Messi to mentor the next great player of Argentina, which is Martinez. Yes, Dybala is the number two right now, but Dybala is starting to get up their needs a little bit. But the future of Argentina is Martinez. How perfect would it have been for Messi to go there and mentor Martinez, combined with helping Inter Milan finally get past Juventus. Somebody needs to finally beat Juventus in the Serie A. And I think they would have, because Juventus is, is like the most flawed they have in years. Yeah, and it's true. And who else plays in the Serie A? He's a, from Portugal. He's a number nine. Hmm. Kind of a guy named Cristiano Ronaldo, the greatest player of all time. Yeah, so link them back up, have that rivalry again. I think that makes perfect sense. And it would have been cool to see that. But um, it just seems like Messi and Ronaldo are not going to play against each other for a little bit longer. This so, is sad. Yeah. But anyways, we've gone rambling on about Messi and what he should do. We're going to close out this statement or this segment saying that Messi got screwed over. And that's just the end of it. We're going to end it on that. Next, we're going to be talking about the NFL and the all the trades and offseason things coming up. And uh, also we're going to talk about our um, the football season coming up. And it's coming up pretty soon. So we're going to talk about that. So stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Double Double on LPJX Flagstaff. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And our new guest we have in for this segment, Sean Clark. Thank you for joining us, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing great. I'm really excited for NFL to return tomorrow. And from really returning, great stuff. Speaking of NFL, that's exactly what we're about to get into. So we have the first NFL game kicking off tomorrow with the Kansas City Chiefs playing the Houston Texans. But before we get into this new NFL season that is upon us, Casey, I'm going to start with you. What a crazy offseason it was. I mean, we had Tom Brady leaving the Patriots after 20 years. We just had moves galore all over the National Football League. What would you, Casey, what was your most prominent move of the offseason that is really going to propel that team to the next step? Oh, man, I think Tampa Bay getting Tom Brady and then Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement is something to look forward to. I mean, we all wanted to see Rob Gronkowski come out of retirement, and he did uh, to play with Tom Brady again. So that'll be interesting to see again. Um, also, the Patriots getting Cam Newton was kind of cool to see as well. So we'll see if he can return to MVP form, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, like you said, I mean, that Tampa Bay offense, on paper, it is just stacked with – Weapons all over the place. They got Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, a receiver who is dealing with a hamstring injury, which kept him on the IR at the end of last season. They just signed Leonard Fournette. They have a decent running back, Ronald Jones. And, of course, the great Tom Brady, arguably the GOAT, the best player of all time. Sean, I'm going to throw it over to you. What was your most prominent move of the offseason? I don't think I don't think this answer is going to be expected at all because a lot of people thought this was an average move and this team is going to be terrible. But I think that's wrong, and that is Teddy Bridgewater going to the Carolina Panthers. I am sick and tired of all of these people saying the Panthers are going to be last place. They don't have any talent. Are, are you serious? Like, ha, did you not watch Teddy Bridgewater go five and zero with the Saints last year when Drew Brees was injured? Uh, ha, have you not seen you know Christian McCaffrey? arguably the best player in the entire NFL. DJ Moore is also no joke. 
The Panthers drafted nothing but defense last year, really buffering their defense. Yeah, it's still not fantastic. But here are the two reasons why I think this Panthers team is going to be a seventh seed in the NFC. Yes, that is my bull pick. The Panthers are going to make the playoffs. Number one, I think the Panthers are going to lead the NFL in time of possession. You, ha- you compound it with Christian McCaffrey. You can have five, six-yard slant passes with Teddy Bridgewater all game long. You can just keep doing it over and over again. And guess what? When you play Tampa Bay, you're taking the ball out of you meant the guy you mentioned earlier, Tom Brady. You can take it out of his hands. You can take it out of Drew Brees' hands. You can take it out of Matt Ryan's hands. Time of possession is crucial in an NFL where it's all about passing, passing, passing. Why do you think the Indianapolis Colts beat the Kansas City Chiefs last year in week five on Sunday night football? Because the Colts kept the ball away from the Chiefs. The Colts had about 39, 40 minutes of time of possession, and the Chiefs didn't have a ton of opportunities to score, and the Colts played defense on top of that. I feel like the Panthers can win quite a few games like that, even in their own division. But also, Teddy Bridgewater, does he throw many interceptions? No, he doesn't. He is a very game manager type of quarterback. And when you have Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and other weapons on your offense, that bolts really well. So if you combine a high turnover differential with a high time of possession, that's going to be a recipe to beat a lot of teams. But if it doesn't work, you can sometimes lose to some bad teams. But I think Teddy, I think I trust Teddy Ridgewell and Christian McCaffrey enough to let them score and keep other teams off the field. I could be totally wrong, but that's just what I see it happening. Yeah, and like you said, with Carolina, they also got a really good slot receiver in the offseason, Robbie Anderson, who has been arguably the number one receiver for the Jets. We know he's not a number one receiver. He's better in the slot. You also mentioned Teddy Bridger last year, 5-0. and And most of those games they won was because of he game-managed. He didn't turn over the ball. Their Saints defense is solid, and they won a couple low-scoring games. But I'm going to have to go in a different direction with this one, and I'm going to have to say DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals. And I say this because DeAndre Hopkins is arguably, depending on who you ask, top three receiver, no doubt, arguably number one. I mean, he was under contract for three more years. The Cardinals locked him up for two additional years after that, making him the highest-paid player with the two-year $48 million extension. And with a young quarterback like Kyler Murray, who as the season got went on last year, he really, he really improved. His turnovers went down. He keeps plays alive with his legs. I mean, he's electric. He's, he's like a young Michael Vick in a sense with a very talented arm. And they have a veteran receiver in Larry Fitzgerald who can even teach a guy like DeAndre Hopkins even more. They got Christian Kirk. And their defense the past couple of years has been very slept on. They've been one of the worst teams in the league, but their defense has always been top of the ranks in the defensive aspects. Um, but, Sean, I'm going to throw it back to you now that we are done talking about our move that we think will help out uh, that team the most. Which move do you think is going to hurt the team? Like, which move do you think they should have made or which move that they made is not going to help the team at all? Well, I'll I'll answer I'll answer that in in a a split two parter. First of all, a move that wasn't made is what on earth were the Green Bay Packers thinking by not drafting a wide receiver? That's that's they had the slimmest receiving core I've ever seen. Devontae Adams, 
was fantastic last season, and they didn't draft a wide receiver. So that's that's like the move that this season, it's really going to go back to bite them. I had to mention that just simply due to the fact, what were you thinking? And you're going to see the Packers offense struggle, and it's th- things are not going to work out well for them. Now, as far as addition that will end up hurting a team, this is going to be a bit of a controversial pick, but I'm actually I'm actually going to go with the with Tom Brady to the with the Tampa Buccaneers slash Cam Newton to the Patriots. Let me explain. I am as diehard of a Patriots fan as it gets. Not to toot my own horn, but I've been a fan of the Patriots since 2004. Yes, I am old. I'm 23. I am very old. I have been a as diehard of a Patriot fan as there has been. Tom Brady going the Buccaneers, their secondary is atrocious. Has no one been watching team throw 500 yards on them consistently the last few seasons? Remember last year against Seattle, Jameis Winston had like 400 yards, three or four touchdowns, and they still lose in overtime on a, on a touchdown catch by Jacob Hollister. Okay. The Buccaneers' secondary is atrocious. Their offensive line is middle of the road, I will say. They have all these weapons, but you're, you're trying to build something. Are you, you're going to go all in on a 43-year-old quarterback? Look, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, not even a competition, but he's 43. I'm sorry, he's 43. But you know what's even worse? Patriots signing Cam Newton. Why? I'm sorry. I hate this move. I have hated this move since the moment I found this out. Why? The Patriots should be rebuilding. All their players opted out. The, the Patriots need to rebuild. They need to get a high draft pick. They need a guy named Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. You're, gonna, you're telling me you're going to get a quarterback who is washed up, injury prone, and a quarterback that could be mediocre at best. The Patriots don't need to be mediocre. That is the worst thing that could possibly happen with the Patriots right now. You should have just stuck with Jared Stidham and go 4-12 and 12 and then make every fan base cry as they draft Trevor Lawrence. That would have been perfection. But no, you're trying to win now. You're trying to go 7-9. Why? Poor move by the Patriots part. Buccaneers, at least they can win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady this year. They can. Because there's no super team in the NFL this year and besides maybe the Chiefs. But even then, they have flaws themselves. But Patriots, uh, I'm not looking forward to this. I totally agree with you. I mean, I was appalled by the Buccaneers' move. I mean, we all know Jameis Winston is probably the most turnover-prone quarterback in the NFL. And you sign a guy, like you said, who's 43 years old. I mean, the Buccaneers, their offensive line is terrible. Their defense hasn't been anything other than Shaq Barrett. And Tom Brady has made his money with a good offensive line with a running game, with short short passes. I mean, he's older. He can barely throw the ball down the field. He's 43 years old. Mike Evans is a deep ball threat. Chris Godwin will kill you down the seams. But And the Patriots, I mean, what are you doing? Cam Newton, you guys have been good for a little under 20 years, won six Super Bowls. Why, why even try to go 8-8, eight and eight, like you said? What is the point? If you go 8-8, eight and eight, you probably lose in the first round of the playoffs if you happen to sneak in anyways. And me 
hating on the Patriots for the last 20 years and not being a fan just because of the continued success that they have had, I would literally cry, like you said, if they got Trevor Lawrence. Teaming up Trevor Lawrence with Bill Belichick for another however many years Bill Belichick coaches after that, probably 15, 20. He'll probably be eight years old still coaching for the Patriots. Their dynasty would continue, and I would be crying in my sleep every night. I would not look forward to it. Trevor Lawrence is probably the greatest QB prospect since we've seen since Andrew Luck. And, oh, man, teaming those two up, it would be, it would be a nightmare all over again for the NFL. It would but be glorious. It would not. It would not. <laughs> but I would like to thank Sean for join, joining us on this uh, second half-hour segment of the Double Double. When we come back, me and Casey will be talking about the MLB award races as the season comes down to the end. We have a couple weeks left before the playoffs start. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Double on LPJX Flagstaff, the Wednesday edition of the Double Double. Thank you for tuning in for the last half hour. This is just going to be me and Casey talking, and our first segment is going to be about the MLB awards, as always, I mean, there's always a rookie of the year, a Cy Young, which goes to the best pitcher, and the MVP, which is the most valuable player. We have about two and a half weeks left of the MLB season in this shortened season because of COVID before playoffs start. So we are going to be making our selections for these awards with the statistics up to today's date. So Casey, I'm going to lead it off with you. Who would be your Rookie of the Year for the National League if you were to place your ballot today? I wish there was more rookies in the National League right now. I think, like, all the, like, major rookies that we're looking at right now are all in the American League right now. So it's kind of hard to pick that Rookie of the Year in the National League right now. Um, but to pick one... I really don't even have a pick right now. They're like, none of them are like surprising me to the point where it's like, he's a like number one definite rookie of the year. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things or it's all of them are just in the AL this year. There is a rookie that's been really good for the nationals. Of course, my team and Luis Garcia, who's batting 291. He's been really good. So maybe he has a shot of making it, but I just don't see a lot of rookies in the national league right now that are like, Dowling now the rookie of the year like we had last year with like Pete Alonso. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really have a pick for this one. It's kind of hard to say. Okay. I'm going to have to go on the complete opposite side of the spectrum here on this one. I feel like this race is already over. It is coming from my San Diego Padres and his name is Jake Cronenworth. We yeah. got him in a trade from Tampa Bay. And I mean, if you look at all the statistical categories and you line them up against all the other rookies in the National League, I mean, this guy's just head and shoulders. I mean, he might as well run for MVP at this race. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> the rookie of the year is definitely in his back pocket. I mean, let me read some stats to you. He's first in runs. He's first in hits. He leads the next closest guy by 11. He's first in doubles, needs, leads the next closest guy by six. He's first in triples, second in homers, first in RBIs, and he's first in batting average against all qualified rookies with a 323 batting average, 29 points higher than the next person. And, I mean, this guy has been a complete surprise coming to my favorite team. We didn't even hear about him in the trade. It was all about Tommy Pham, and it was all about Hunter Renfro, Manuel Marco, who we got rid of. 
But this guy has bursted onto the scene. He has filled a ginormous hole in the Padres' um, position scheme. They have, have not had a second baseman for as long as I can remember. And, yes, he is a rookie, so in this shortened season, could this be a fluke? It very well could. We do not know, but I'm going to keep riding the high life. I'm going to welcome everybody on the bandwagon with this pick. And it has to go to Jake Cronenworth. I mean, the guy just does it night in, night out. He's been stellar defensively, played a little first base, played primarily second base, and has filled in an even third base and shortstop when needed. So Jake Cronenworth all the way for me for the National League Rookie of the Year. Switching over to the Cy Young, which goes to the best pitcher in the National League. Casey, who do you got? I think you guys are going to be surprised. Not really. He's been really good this year. And it's Hugh Darvish of the, of the uh, Cubs. And he's leading the NL in wins in 7-1. and one. He is second in ERA with a 1.89. He's just been phenomenal this year. And it's one of those things where they, after the All-Star break last year, he started to show glimpse of him being himself again and being that pitcher that the Cubs always wanted and signed a big contract for. And he's been doing exactly that. He's been excellent. It might be because of the whole shortened season. Like, everybody's kind of like – it's just like one of those weird seasons where you can't really know if it's just a fluke or not. Like, Dylan Bundy's having an amazing sing, like season with the Angels. Like, nobody would have thought that. But I think it goes to you, Darvish, this year. Jacob DeGrom's also been really good, but he's just not winning ball games, and the Cubs are. So I'm going to give it to you, Darvish, this year. I totally agree with you. My, my, Cy, Young, my Cy Young would also be you, Darvish. I feel like, like you said, they signed him to that big contract. Last year, kind of had a very down year. The Cubs didn't even make the playoffs. And this year, the Cubs are in first place there have a record of 25 and 18, which is third best in the National League, but they would secure the two seed in the playoffs because of how the seeding is um, given priority to division winners over teams that even have a better record when it comes to the wild card. But like you said, I mean, he has a 7-1 record. He leads the National League in ERA with a 1.44. He's second in the National League with a .88 whip, which is walks, walks and hits per innings pitch. And his opponent batting average is 200. So every, good. every five players that comes up to bat, only one person is getting hit. I mean, the record speaks for itself. Seven and one. The Cubs are winning a ton of ball games, And he's performing like the guy that uh, – he's performing the way his bank account is set up very well. So we both are on you, Darvish, for that pick. Moving over to the National League MVP, who do you got? I know who you want me to say. I know who you want me to say, but I'm going to go with my team because it's. I think it's a three-horse race right now. And obviously, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. He's been having an incredible year, leading the NL in home runs and just doing everything, like, from A to Z. He's doing everything. But the other two are from my team, and it's Trent Turner. He's leading the uh, NL in batting average, batting 359. He has the most hits in the – um NL right now with uh 60 and he's also I think he's like third in OPS which is not something that a lot of people know about but he's he's actually hitting a lot of home runs this year too he's getting on base he's traditionally a leadoff hitter but he's actually batting third for us right now so he's having a really good season 
and also the young guy Juan Soto. Juan Soto, dude, he every they don't even want to pitch. Hasn't played enough games. <laughs> I don't even care. He's batting. He's he's still qualified for um um no he's not even qualified for batting average right now but he's batting <laughs> he's he has eleven home runs nobody wants to pitch anymore to pitch to him anymore he's just one of those guys you love to watch he does everything all swagged out he's a young guy off a of World Series just showing how good he is at the age of twenty one but. Yeah. It's going to be Fernando Tatis Jr., though. I mean, it just has to be. He's having the season of a lifetime. So, yeah. I'm going to go with your guy, Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, both those guys are having tremendous years. I mean, Juan Soto's a freak. I'm sure he's going to be in the MVP race for the next 10 to 15 years or as long as he plays. And Trey Turner, he actually uh, came from the Padres. We traded him to you about four or five years ago. Yeah, so I remember that. A little salty <laughs> because uh, we got Will Myers in that deal. but. It is what it is. You win some, you lose some. But my MVP pick, I mean, there's nobody else than the face of baseball, Fernando Tetsis Jr. I mean, he's first in runs in the National League. He's third in hits, for, tied for first in home runs throughout the whole MLB. He's first in RBIs. He's tied for third in stolen base. And then he's first in slugging percentage and first in on-base plus slugging percentage. I mean, the guys just have an unreal year. I mean, it was about a month and a half into the MLB season. I remember he was tied for first with stolen bases throughout the whole MLB, tied for first in RBIs, and led the whole MLB as a shortstop in home runs. I mean, the guy has unreal power. He makes spectacular defensive plays. He's lightning fast on the base pass. He steals bases when he's winning 8-0. to zero. He hits grand slams on a 3-0 pitch when – they're winning by eight runs in the eighth inning. I mean, the guy just yeah. has so much swag not to like him. I mean, he has the cool hair, the dreads. He wears the the big, shiny glasses. I don't even know what brand they are. I've never even yeah, seen them. I don't them even before. know either. I think, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's a Dominican thing that they wear that. I mean, the guy's swag is off the charts. I mean, and his play backs it up. Usually there's guys that wear all that swag and are not anything on the field. But I guess his motto is uh, look good, play good, and he uh, – Definitely backs it up, so I got to love that. But So those are our picks for the National League. We are going to switch over to the American League and try to run through this really quick so we can get into Casey's real-life example. But who would your pick be for American League Rookie of the Year? There's only one guy, really, for me. Um, there's guys like Kyle Lewis of the Mariners, who, who's having a good season, and Randy Dobnak who, on the Twins, who's actually having a good season, too. But it's it's Luis Robert, dude. He, he he's kind of like that. He, he's a little Mike Trout, to be honest with you. He's he does it all. He do, hits home runs. He gets on base, steals bases. Um, he's just phenomenal. Everybody knew he was like the number one prospect in uh, baseball for a long time. So I think there's no debate about this one. I should have checked out Jake Cronenworth a little bit more. I kind of over glanced him a little bit, but. I know this one, and it's going to be Luis Robert. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, like you said, I was I was tempted to go Kyle Lewis, but I think Luis Robert is the guy as well. He's third in hits in the AL for all rookies, second in runs, second in doubles, first in home runs with 11, which is if the leader in the MLB is at 15, which he's probably in the top six or seven as a rookie, which is phenomenal. He's first in RBIs with 27 in 
the White Sox are tied for first place with the Indians. So I mean, nobody would have saw that. He, exactly. He's he's definitely been that spark plug they need. And to me, it's him or Kyle Lewis for Rookie of the Year. But looks like we're both on the same page with Luis Robert. But switching over to Cy Young, I feel like we're going to be on the same page for this one because this guy's just having an unbelievable season so far. But yeah. who you got? Uh, I don't think there's any debate right now. This guy did phenomenal in the All-Star game last year, striking out three guys. We all remember it. But this guy, Shane Bieber, man, came out of nowhere. Literally came out of nowhere. And he made an All-Star appearance last year. He's 7-0, 1.25 ERA. He leads in both wins, ERA, and strikeouts, three major categories. And he's just having an unbelievable year. And it's one of those things, like, when the Indians always have good pitching. Like, no matter what, they had Corey Kluber, they had Trevor Bauer, they had Mike Clevenger, who's now on your team. And now Shane Bieber, who's just doing everything, like, pitching-wise for that team. So, uh, there's no debate. It's Shane Bieber in – no, not Justin Bieber. It's Shane Bieber from Cy Young. I totally agree with you. I mean, Shane Bieber, like you said, the numbers speak for himself. He's first in ERA, 7-0 record. The second-place person that has almost a full-point ERA higher than his. The second-place person has 19 fewer strikeouts. So that's – for most guys, that's three starts. So he has a 7-0 record. He's He started nine games, has 94 strikeouts. He's averaging slightly over 10 strikeouts a game, which is just unreal. The Indians are also tied for first with the um, the Chicago White Sox. And I think the Indians, they they might have saw this coming. I mean, they got rid of Trevor Bauer because he was just too much of a headache for their clubhouse. They got rid of Corey Kluber because they couldn't afford him. And they just got rid of Mike Clevenger in the past week. They pushed all their eggs in one basket with Shane Bieber and Man, it is paying off for them. A lot Imagine of Imagine that rotation though with all four of them. Oh man, they would be filthy. And they already are still like first in their tie for first in their which is a very competitive division, but especially this Shane year. Bieber all the way. Yeah. He I mean, it's his to lose if he I don't know if he just craps the bed the last three games or what's going on, but he could it's... probably sit out the rest of the year and still win the Cy Young. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Or give up like <laughs> 10 runs each time. <laughs> but uh, okay. Switching over to MVP. Who you got? Uh, this is kind of, I don't know. It's, I know what a lot of people are saying and it has to go to Mike Trout. And it's like, he's just the best player in baseball right now. He's, First in home runs, tied with uh, Nelson Cruz. He's, uh, what is he, second in RBIs behind Jose Abreu by just two. He does everything. And it's like one of those things, there's not like, you can't give it, I don't mean you can, but nobody's going to give an MVP to Nelson Cruz, even though he's a DH, you know. But you don't give, you don't give it to DHs. So, it has to be Mike Trout, and it's weird. It's not even weird saying it anymore. It's just inevitable at this point. Like, Mike Trout will go down as probably the best play, baseball player of all time. And he's proven it time and time again. He bats close to 300 every year. He always is in the top five in almost every single category every year. So, yeah, I think it's going to be Mike Trout again. I totally agree with you. I mean, Mike Trout is just a – Absolute freak. I mean, he could, 
if he didn't play for the Angels and he wanted to be more on the spotlight, he could arguably go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest player of all time. And I totally agree with, the, with you that it's his to lose every year. But I'm going to just show some love to a 40-year-old DH that uh, is having an <laughs> unreal season. I'm going to have to go with Nelson Cruz. I mean, the guy is 40 years old. He's 40 yeah. years old putting up these numbers. He's tied for first in home runs with the Mike Trout. He's second in hits. He's sixth in runs scored as a DH, which is – and he's not very fast, which I thought was an, that was impressive. He's fifth in RBIs, third in batting average with a 342 batting average. The Twins are a half game out of first place. He, he's first in on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and on-base plus slugging percentage. And he's 40 years old. So, I mean – He's a DH. He he can play till he's fifty if he wanted to. Exactly, and he's uh, <laughs> he's gonna have gray hair and still hitting bombs. But uh, yeah. So Wait. that those are our picks for the for the MLB awards. Yeah. So that's our picks. Um, hopefully, we're all right. I think we made some really good picks saying that. But we're gonna take a commercial break, and when we get back, we're gonna talk about my uh, real life. Um, experiences and stuff like that so we'll be right back after this break all right welcome back guys to the second edition of the wednesday podcast with your host casey everett and co-host chad piper we just had two really good segments talking about the basketball playoffs and lebron james and taking over and beating houston and we also talked about the miami heat um, winning against the Bucks, And we also talked about some Lionel Messi controversy and the NFL coming up soon. But right now we're going to go into the real life example with me. And for me, growing up, I always was kind of a troublesome kid. I always grew up like thinking the world owes me something when it doesn't. So um, that all changed when I started growing up and I found a mentor to really uh, change my life. And his name is Carlin Ladera. I was 11 years old. I met him in middle school. He worked at my uh, local rec center and he changed my life forever. And he made me realize what it is to have tenacity and passion for sports and really change my life and stay out of trouble while I was doing it. Um, so it's kind of like that. The same thing with like, I want to say the mentorship of the great pitchers of the Indians. We just got done talking about them, but Trevor Bauer, even though he's a crazy guy, but he, he was a mentor to the players like Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber and kind of molded them to be those kind of pitchers that they are today. And it's one of those things where you need a mentor growing up. You need somebody to really put you in the right direction. And for the Indians, it was the um, for Trevor Bauer. And it might've been Corey Kluber as well. They kind of led these young pitchers to be the all-stars that they are today. And even though they're not all on the same team right now, you can tell Mike Clevenger is an amazing pitcher. He knows how to play the game. He plays with tenacity. He plays with energy. And it's the same thing with Shane Bieber. And that all comes from having a great mentor like Trevor Bauer, who's crazy in my opinion. But he is an amazing baseball player, to say the least. But, yeah, growing up, having that mentor to really push me in the right direction, I was able to do things like play in, at my uh, city college when I was about to transfer and playing there. And, um having that guidance just to make sure that I pushed myself every time I stepped on the field playing soccer, it just kind of pushed me in that right direction. So make sure if you're young, watching this old, watching this, make sure that you have a mentor or you want to mentor somebody because 
right after I, he was done mentoring me, and he's still one of my great friends today, I took the same job at that local rec center, doing the same thing and mentoring kids. And a lot of parents kind of want that for their kids growing up. They want somebody to kind of lead them in the right direction. So just like uh, Trevor Bauer and these probably Cy Young award winner, Shane Beaver and Mike Clevenger from the Padres, having that mentor really makes a great impact on your life. So very good story, I would I have to say. Um, so when you were 11, what was it, if you can remember, if not, uh, I understand because you're young. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was like a specific, like something that your mentor had said or something that just like really stuck with you to make you more passionate and kind of change your perspective on life a little bit? That's a really good question. And all I could say is, he asks me every time, how much do you really want it? How much do you love it? How much have you given to this game? Like how much has this game given you? And those are the things that I kept with me my whole life. And soccer has led me in the right direction. I wouldn't be doing stuff like this with the podcast if it wasn't for somebody to lead me in the right direction and make an impact and go to a four-year university like I am now. And playing soccer at a, um, a really good city college in Santa Barbara, California. You know. It, it's just every time I had something to ask, he always told me the same thing. It's just keep your head on straight. You'll be fine. You don't need to get into partying. You don't need to do all these things. Cause there's a lot of kids that like that. That's the age, like 11 years old is kind of when you find your crowd that you want to hang out with and make decisions that will probably alter your life forever. So he just told me to keep my head on straight, give back to the game that's given you so much and just love it and have passion for it. So I, to I totally agree with you. I mean, being at that young age, having a role model is probably one of the most important things. Having someone that's pushing the right image, which very sounds like your role model was doing and to push you in the right direction to keep you off the streets in a sense, stay away from partying. Just let your brain develop, grow up, make your decisions. That's something you go down. That's something you go down. But playing sports is just one of the most positive things that we can do as kids and gives us hope. It gives us life. It gives us love for something. It just really um, is a positive thing that more people like your mentor need to be pushing to those young, younger generations. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is too, like we don't really think about it, but those people that mentor us, they never had to do that for us. They never had to be like reach out to some like little kid and try and put like bring them under their wing and teach them how to really pursue sports and athletics like that. Like they didn't have to do any of that. So I'm grateful for you, Carlin. So shout out to you uh, for leading me in the right direction and uh, making a really good impact on my life. But yeah. That's going to wrap mean, it up, guys. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's segment. Uh, thank you, Chad. That was a great talk. Uh, I didn't want to get too deep on you, but <laughs> uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, we talked about, like I said earlier, we talked about the Lakers and LeBron and the Rockets. We talked about the Heat, bringing down that number one seed, the Bucks, And we also talked about the messy whole transfer thing, which is a mind boggling to me. And we also talked about the NFL starting up soon. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. Thank you guys for watching and we'll see you next Wednesday.